Well, good morning, Believers Church. Um, I'm excited to get to share with you, but it's really not fair to have to follow all those cute kid pictures and all the stories coming out of Honduras. I could have listened to that for a long long time, but um, I'm excited that I get to be here this morning and share with you. I had a little bit of grace on Clint since he thought he'd be tired this morning, so I told him I would come up here and and take care of him, but um, I just want to welcome you to what that's called Summer at Believers, and we know during the summer it's a time where a lot of people are traveling, routines are different, you may have promised that you're going to relax and slow down a little bit. Anybody do that? And not be having that happen yet (laughs) any day now. I'm sure I'm going to be able to slow down a bit. But what I wanted to encourage you with, sometimes when that happens and during summer, when you slow down, you can lose God a little bit in that shuffle and in that change of routine. So we just wanted to encourage you and take the next few weeks of summer and just do some teaching on some practical things. Everybody ready for just something practical, something you can take home, some teaching and some training um, that'll all keep us moving forward and taking our one step so that summer isn't this time where we just backtrack or we kind of fall away, but we head into the fall encouraged and further along than we were at the beginning of summer. So what we're going to start talking about today, and it'll go through the next few weeks, but it's known as the armor of God. And if you grew up in church, you may remember when you were a kid having a lesson about it, and if your teacher was really cool, he or she brought in like this full-size suit of armor so that you could look at and go, oh, that's really cool, because we really don't do armor the way they used to do armor. And so if you learned about this, it's time to go back to it. It's time to think about it again, or maybe this is the first time you're actually hearing about it. But I want you to imagine this. Say you were in a new job, and you knew that in this new job, you've never done it before. There's a bunch of specialized tools that you're going to have to use and training to do it well. And then you show up on that first day, and they greet you at the door. They say, hey, come on in. We're excited to have you. Good luck. Figure it out. And they don't give you any tools, and they don't give you any training. How many of you would feel good about that? Not very, right? But what I feel like happens sometimes is that's what happens to us when we become Christians. We decide we want to follow Jesus, and we're told, hey, just you know, come to church, try and live right, good luck. And that's as much training as you may have gotten. And when you live that way, it's not going to be very encouraging. It's not going to be very exciting. So we want to take the next few weeks and actually give you some training so that you can feel like you have the tools to go out there and live a successful Christian life. Is that all right? Okay. So the armor of God is talked about in the Bible in Ephesians 6. And Ephesians is a book. It's actually a letter that a man called Paul wrote to a place called Ephesus. And see, Paul, he had been going out. He was sharing Jesus. He was doing the things he was supposed to do. And what the people around him did was throw him into jail. And If that had been me, I probably would have sat there and pouted a little bit and been like, God, all I was doing was living right and doing what I'm supposed to. Why am I sitting here in jail? But Paul didn't do that. He decided he was going to take that time that he was there and use that opportunity to begin to write letters 
letters with helpful instruction to new Christians, and he wanted to take the time as God gave him ideas and gave him things to write it down and to send to people. And so he was in prison, he was writing these letters, and while he was there, he was surrounded by Russian, or by Russian, Roman soldiers. Um, and so these Roman soldiers were around him day in and day out. He would have seen them, he would have watched what they did and kind of how they acted. And so in the end of his letter to Ephesus in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, here's what he wrote. He said, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. So let's pause here just for a minute. Look at that verse. Whose power is it? His. Whose armor is it? It's his armor. This isn't something that we're having to try and come up with ourselves. He has it all and he's offering it to us. Our job is to take it and to put it on and to use it. Let's keep reading. He said, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from good news so that you will be fully prepared. And in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And so Paul wrote this down and he sent it to these people. But before he gets into describing the armor, he wanted to make sure and talk about something else. And that's the reason why we actually need to think about armor. And just like those pieces of armor that he's talking about, that helmet, that sword of the spirit, those are all invisible. Just like those are invisible, the war that's going on is actually invisible as well. It's unseen. It's called spiritual warfare. Now that term when I say it may kind of make you tense up a little bit, depending on your attitude toward it and the kind of opinion you have towards all things spiritual. But I think what people usually do is they fall into one of two extremes with it. The first thing you may think about is that spiritual stuff, that spooky, I don't want anything to do with it. I kind of just leave it alone. It stays over there. I'll stay over here. But then there's other people who are the other extreme that are like, that thing that happened to me, that was a demon. There's a demon behind that tree. There's a demon doing this to me. Everything is demonic. Everything is spiritual. But what we need to see, and here's the truth, whether you fall into one extreme or the other, or you hit it right in the middle, that war is actually happening. Whether you believe it or you deny it, it's happening. And I need you to understand that this morning, there's a battle raging that you and I can't see. And just because we might not understand it or we might not believe it, doesn't make it not happen. And so this morning, that's what we're gonna be talking about because we want to be prepared for everything in this life. 
God didn't want you to become a Christian just to feel beat down and exhausted and make it into heaven just by the skin of your teeth, just existing in this life. He wants you to get there victorious and having done everything that you're supposed to do. So what you need to know this morning, invisible does not equal imaginary. Invisible doesn't equal imaginary. What do I mean by that? I think Hollywood has done such a job of showing us what the spiritual world is, right? There's these cosmic battles of good versus evil, and there's, you know, horror movies that have demons and they have spirits. And if we're not careful, we start watching that and we make all of that into a fairy tale because Hollywood has shown us that. And I need you to know the issues in your life that you can experience with your five senses. So the things that you see and hear and can touch, those aren't your real issues. Your real issues are coming from a spiritual battle that's going on. And we spend so much of our time focusing on the things that I can try and fix and do in the physical world. And what happens is we end up wasting our energy because we're just trying to do and fix and be here when we don't realize what's going on around us. What we need to do is remember what we read in Ephesians 6:12. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. That's why Paul wrote that. He needed you to know it's not the flesh and blood person. If I asked you to take a second right now and just get a picture in your mind of a person that is an issue in your life. I'm pretty sure most of you could think of someone or two or five um, people that come to mind, right? None of those people are your enemy. The verse says we aren't fighting against people, not your spouse, not your coworker, not that family member. Those are not your enemy. So if those aren't the enemy, then what you need to do is you need to know your true enemy. Once we decide to follow Jesus, our enemy's the devil. One person agrees with me, thank you. But he wants nothing more than to keep you from becoming everything that God wants you to be. He wants to stop God's work in your life and to take you out. And the more you focus your fighting on people and on the physical stuff around you, that leaves him more free to do his work because you're so focused on what's going here, what your five senses tell you, that you're not even watching him. You're not even paying attention to the things that he's putting into your life. And Ephesians 6 says that he is strategic, right? He uses strategy. Now, the devil is not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful. He is not everywhere at all times like our God is. But he's smart and he's persistent and he's strategic and he knows the things that are gonna work against you. Now things that work against you are not the things that are gonna work against me. We all have different things that push our buttons and, and that bait us, but he's smart and he watches. Anybody who, out there who is a successful fisherman or fisherwoman couple people, you understand this, right? I have learned in the year that we've had our pond with fish in it that I am not a successful fisherwoman um, because what I want to do is take my pole, throw that hook in there, 
If something doesn't hit it in about 30 seconds, I'm like, well, this is boring. Reel it back in, I'll try it again. I'm gonna try it a couple times. And if nothing happens, put my pole up, I go, guess the fish aren't biting today. That's my fishing story. Clint, on the other hand, he's got different poles. He's got this whole tackle box that's filled with different lures and bait and different stuff to use. And he'll go out there and he'll look around. I think I'm going to try this worm today. And he'll try it and he'll use it for a while. If it's not working, he's like, they don't like it today. I'm going to try something else. And he'll try a different one. And he spent hours out there learning what the fish in our pond are gonna go after, what bait works for them, right? And he's taken this whole tackle box that he has and he's narrowed it down to about three or four different things that are gonna work in our pond on the fish that we have and the bass are gonna go for this and the bluegill are gonna go for that and it's a little bit cloudy today so that means I'll go over to this side and I'm like, more power to ya. But he's strategic. He watches and he learns and he spends that time. And so he catches fish. He's taken those hours and put into it. Guess how much time the devil has had to watch and to learn and to be strategic? A lot more than a couple hours. And he's narrowed down what bait works for you. And when you're a Christian, you've chosen a side in this war. And the devil's intent is to just put that bait in front of you just lure you out from that protective covering that God has over your life. Just lure you away from that side a little bit. And he knows what works. He wants you to become vulnerable. And look what it says in 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We need to stay alert because he wants to devour us. Now, devour can be done in one huge bite. You may have a huge life event that comes along and just tries to take you out. But how many of you know something can be devoured in a series of small little bites that just begin to wear away at you, begin to use you up and to consume you? And maybe you just write it off, oh, that's just bad luck, or that's just a, a busy stretch in my life and things are tough right now. That's the enemy trying to devour you slowly, work his way. This is a battle. It says to stay alert to the big attacks and also to the small ones. And what you need to do is be watchful. If you're fighting with your spouse, realize your spouse isn't the enemy and say in the name of Jesus, this marriage is going to work. If you're frustrated with your kids, you look at it and go, that kid's not my enemy. Feels like it right now, but that kid's not my enemy. In Jesus' name, God, come down into this situation. Devil, I'm not going to give you a place in my children. And the more you begin to look, the more you're going to be able to recognize the bait that he's using. And once you do that, you'll swim right on by it without taking it because you've started to recognize, wait a second, I know what that is. So you need to recognize invisible doesn't equal imaginary. You need to know who your true enemy is. You also need to know your true identity. You need to know your true identity. And this should be able to bring you peace when you begin to understand it. See, you and I are not physical beings that are just having a temporary spiritual experience. 
we are actually spiritual beings that are just having a temporary physical experience. And so if this is true, we need to be more aware of what's happening in the spiritual world. First Peter 2.11, Peter's writing, he says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Now, Peter didn't say, you know, temporary residents and foreigners because he's writing to people who had just moved to a new place. He's talking just to Christians because this world, it's not our true home. We're just here for a little bit. And if we're not careful, we start to make this our home and we start to adopt the culture and we start to fit in and we get comfortable here. You know, the team that went to Honduras this week, I bet if they had stayed a couple more weeks, they would start saying some Spanish phrases and they'd be able to tell you, oh, the best tacos, they're, they're found over there, right? Because you begin to fit in with the culture that you're around. This is not your home. So don't try and fit in here. Christians aren't supposed to blend into the world, but it's becoming easier and easier and more tempting to do that every day. And so you have to watch it. So there's a serious battle going on. I'm not telling you that to make you fearful, but I wanna let you in on a little secret. If you choose to be on God's side in this war, you pick the winning team, right? The final victory is already decided. You're gonna face some battles. You're gonna have some things that come up in your life, but the final battle is already decided. His side is victorious. And so what he has done is given us his armor and his power to make it through this life. And so now that we understand a little bit more about why we need armor, we're gonna just take the first piece today um, in the last few minutes and talk about the belt of truth. So if we think about a belt today, it's normally used for holding up your pants, right? Or maybe if you're a woman and just a little bit decorative or um, just a little bit you know, stylish to have a belt on. I think after COVID and everybody got used to wearing stretchy pants and gaining weight and staying at home, belts aren't as popular anymore. But Paul wrote this back in the first century and so what he was seeing around him and his idea of a belt was from what the Roman soldiers had. And so their physical belt, here's what it would do. It would keep clothing out of the way. So the Roman soldiers wore these tunics and it was actually this fabric that was a lot wider than it was long. So picture this big rectangle of fabric. Well, if they didn't have a belt, it was just waving around, flopping around as they went. They would take this belt and they would begin to gather in all the fabric on both sides and then strap the belt around it so that they could go out into their life. If they didn't in their daily life, let alone when they're out fighting a battle, what's gonna happen? That fabric's gonna get caught on things, they're gonna get hung up, they're gonna get trapped and tangled up. And so what you need to see is take a look at your life. You feel like you're always getting caught up on stuff, kind of feel like you're getting snagged on stuff, you take two steps forward and then you're like, and you have to back up a little bit. You need to check if you've got your belt of truth on, if you're getting snagged all the time. The second thing that would do, their belt was a place for them to support the rest of their armor. Roman armor was very heavy. It was a lot to carry it on their shoulders. So what they would do, that breastplate that they had, they'd put their belt on first and they'd tuck that in there 
And then the belt was also a place where they could put their sword and they could put their dagger into. And so they didn't have to have everything in their hands. Their hands were free to fight. And so it was a place that kept all that weight off their shoulders. So take a look at your life. Anybody feeling weighed down, burdened? Anybody feel like you're juggling stuff all the time, trying to just keep those balls in the air, keep your life going? And maybe you need to put on your belt of truth so that you have a place to put those things so that you're not constantly weighed down and burdened and, and you can't keep your hands free to fight. The last thing the belt was, it was a status symbol for soldiers. They were the only ones allowed to wear this type of belt and whether they were in active battle or not, they kept it on so that everybody else knew who they were. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have this belt of truth on as Christians so that everybody around us knows who we are. And we're not just supposed to wear it when we're in a battle, but every day we're supposed to put it on. So that's why Paul t chose a belt. Why did he link it with truth? The simple definition of truth that I heard once is truth is God's opinion on anything. God's opinion on anything. That's not a popular definition of truth today, right? But it is what it is. He's the one who created everything. He's the one who set everything into motion. He gets to decide the rules. It's his opinion on anything. I, as a person who was created by him, shouldn't think that I know more than he does. And so we have to be careful with that. The second thing we need to know about truth, truth doesn't change according to feelings, popular opinion, or experiences. And I think we live in a society that's becoming more and more willing to bend the truth. Just, just bend it a little bit. Well, popular opinion tells me this, and the way I feel tells me this. Even Christians are becoming comfortable with that. But feelings are going to change. Popular opinion is going to change. Your experiences are going to change. Truth shouldn't change with all of those. And then the last thing truth does, it brings freedom, not bondage. I think a lot of people are okay bending the truth how they want because they feel like, well, the Bible was written a long time ago, not really relevant to today, or they feel like, well, God made those rules. He just did them so he could keep his thumb on us and hold us back. But if we really understand God is the creator and he knows best, then we'd understand his truth is for our good. It's for our protection and it's for our freedom. If you think back to the first story in the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, God put one rule in place. He had one rule. I made you this garden, you can eat from any tree in it, except that one. Just, just don't, don't eat from it. You do, you're gonna die. How many of you, I like to go back and think, if I was there, I could have followed that one rule, things would have been so different, but that's not how it went. So what happened was, the devil came, now what he could have done, grabbed a piece of fruit, shoved it in Eve's mouth, and made her disobey, right? That's not how he works. He got inside her head and he began to twist the truth just a little bit and tell her, you know what, you're not gonna die. God just told you that because he doesn't want you to be as wise as he is. And so as Eve began to think about that, she changed her thinking 
from the truth being protective to the truth being restrictive. And so we have to make sure we're not doing the same thing because she and Adam and everybody else since then has learned the hard way. Instead of focusing on all that she had, she looked at the one thing that she didn't have. And it changed her perspective and the truth was twisted. And John 8:32 it says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we're in a spiritual battle. We understand a bit more about what the belt of truth is. How do we use it? And we'll go through this real quick. The first thing you need to do, identify the lies. You have to actually identify them, know them for what they are. Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher back in the 1800s, he had this quote. It says, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. See, if I was to stand up here and go, okay, here's a choice for all of you. Do you want to murder somebody or should you love them? Hopefully most of you, hopefully all of you would easily make the choice, right? So those dramatic choices, that's not a big deal for us. It's those little choices that we have to do. Maybe it's the things that you've believed since you were a kid. It's the things that people say over you. It's the things like, well, you're not wealthy enough. You're not smart enough. That doctor's report, that's the final say over your life. You're a horrible parent. You'll never get over everything that you did in the past. It's those little statements, those little lies that start to trip us up. I remember one time um, when Mabel was about seven and I told her I was gonna tell a story about her today. She's usually not in here so we can say whatever we want, but I checked it with her for this first time. Um, she had done something that she wasn't supposed to do, and then she tried to cover it up. And so she's super smart, and for me just to go to her and go, lying is bad, don't do it, she wouldn't care about that. She wants to know deeper things. And so what I told her, I said, what you're doing is choosing who your daddy is. Because the Bible says the devil is the father of lies. And it says about Father God, there's no lying in him. And so whenever we choose to lie or deceive or believe a lie, we're picking who our daddy is. Which one do you want? I know which one I wanna choose. God can't be a part of a lie. So you need to look at your life, begin to identify the things that don't line up with God's word. But when you get rid of the lie and you identify it, that's not enough because then you have a gaping hole there and the easiest thing to do is just fill it with another lie, right? So you need to make sure and replace the lies with truth. As we close today, I wanna to give you three places to go to find those replacement statements. Band, you can go ahead and come up here. Ushers, you can do your thing. The first place you need to go is of course to God and God's word, the Bible. It says in Titus 1-2, it says, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the time began. The Bible is God's word, and it's filled with truth, and it's filled with promises for your life. And you can't apply them if you don't know what it says. So you have to get into your word. You have to be reading your Bible. And go to God to find out who you are as his child and how loved and accepted you are. And the next place you go is Jesus John 16, or John 14, 6 says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the 
truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Remember those bracelets we used to have that said WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's a good way to think. Try to live your life like he did. In truth, he lived life in a human body. He sympathizes with us. You can go to him for issues dealing with life. You can go to him for learning how to love somebody or how to forgive others. And then go to him for his name. There is power in the name of Jesus. Go to him for healing. It says, by his stripes, you are healed. That's where the truth is inside of him. And the last place to go is to the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 said, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth and he will tell you what is yet to come. If we're fighting a spiritual battle, what better person to have on our side than the Holy Spirit? He's the spirit of truth and can guide you into all truth that this says. Anybody else a little worried about what's going on in our society or our country? It says the Holy Spirit is able to tell you what is to come. He can keep you going in the right direction. So we need to realize we're in a battle. We need to get rid of the lies and make the choice to go and strap on that belt of truth every day. Amen? Go ahead and stand with me. I want to leave you with one more truth to take with you. This is in Romans 8, 37 through 39. It says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That verse about covers it. Nothing can separate you from his love. No matter what's coming against you, if you choose to be on God's side in this war, you will win. Nothing can separate you from his love. Go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. First of all, we never close without giving people an opportunity to come to God. Maybe all of this is foreign to you, but the thing that stuck out is there's a God who loves you. Today can be the day that you start to follow him. Today can be the day that you choose to be on his side. God made a way for you to come simply by saying that his son, Jesus, you're choosing him to be your Lord. You believe that God sent him and that he died and that he rose again and you want to follow him. That's how this thing starts. So if that's you today and you've never received Jesus as your savior, or maybe you've kind of walked away a little bit and want to come back, I just invite you to raise your hand this morning and then just pray in your heart and quietly to yourself. Just say, God, today I'm coming home. I choose Jesus as my Lord. I choose to be on the winning team. Forgive me and I'll follow you. That's your starting point. It's as easy as that this morning. But I also wanted to pray over one more thing and then we'll be singing our last song in closing. But while your eyes are still closed, if there's people in here or you're watching online and you're tired of believing lies, you serve Jesus, you're a Christian, but you still feel like these lies are something that you're believing in. You're tired of the devil seeming to win in your life. And today you just want to stand before God and choose his truth. 
If that's you this morning, I just want you to put your hand up and just say, God, that's me. Today I'm choosing truth. I choose to follow you. I see those hands that are lifted up. Let's pray. God, I thank you this morning. Father God, we choose you. We choose your side. Lord God, help us in the days ahead. God, those lies that have been in our life for so long, we choose to get rid of that, Lord God, and we choose to take on the truth that is from you, your love for us, your acceptance for us, your forgiveness of us. God, that you have a bright future for us, that there is hope. Lord, we choose that this morning. In Jesus' name, I bless all those, God, who just feel like they're being attacked. God, those who are feeling like the devil is just constantly after them. God, that they would know your strength and your power bigger than any attack that comes on them. We thank you for that this morning. Father God, I ask that you would show us in the days ahead how to walk in truth. Lord God, not to go to the right or the left or to follow people, Father God, but to follow you. We want to do that today, and I thank you for that. God, I bless everyone as they head out of here today, back into their summers, Lord, that you would continue to protect and surround them and provide everything that is needed. Lord God, we give you this coming week and ask you to show up in mighty ways. We trust you for that now and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name.